What I do is inconsequential. Why I do what I do is I get to shorten people's journeys every day. What I love about our hospitality industry is that it's our mission to make people feel cared for while on their journeys. Together, we'll explore what hospitality means in the built environment, in business, and in our daily lives. I'm Dan Ryan, and this is Defining Hospitality. Today's guest is someone who over the past 25 years has played a pivotal role in the development and adoption of biofuels. He's helping combat climate change by turning net zero from a possibility to a reality. He advocated for legislation that helped make biofuels a viable alternative. He's involved in first-of-a-kind mega projects involving sustainable aviation fuel and clean hydrogen. He's the president and CEO at World Energy in Boston. Ladies and gentlemen, Gene Gabolis. Welcome, Gene. Oh, great to be here. Thank you for being a guest. I know how busy you are changing the world, um, <laughs> but I just want to let all of our guests know I had the pleasure of meeting Gene in the office, I believe, where you're sitting right now with a group of entrepreneurs I was with. And we came in and learned ab about what you're doing and how you are changing the world as it pertains to creating these new markets for um, low carbon biofuels. And you have these really incredible, incredible mega projects um, and an incredible team that's kind of really international right now. And before we get into the how you're changing, um, I wanted to get into obviously running these companies, being an entrepreneur um, and traveling everywhere. Hospitality plays a big role in how you made me feel comfortable in your office and giving your time there. And then again now, what does hospitality mean to you as it pertains to your worldview and what you're trying to accomplish? Hmm. Yeah, I, I think of being hospitable is uh, closely connected to being graceful, to, to welcoming somebody into your space and putting them uh, at ease. So, you know, at first it wasn't um, clear to me how a hospitality podcast might relate to what I'm doing. But increasingly, uh, when people are flying, uh, part of their um, discomfort with it is somewhat the, the frivolous nature to, to some degree of flying for, to, uh, for a holiday or uh, for a non-required uh, reason. And knowing that you're having a um, uh, sustainability impact in, mm -hmm. in doing that. And so what we're really trying to focus on uh, in our business is how do you decarbonize really hard to decarbonize sectors uh, like aviation? Um, and so uh, if we can help be part of hospitality, ha being hospitable by helping people get from point A to point B with a lower carbon impact and, um, and meeting their obligations and giving them a sense of, uh, uh, of doing things in, in aligned with their values, um, then it, I, I think there is a connection to, to hospitality. Um, or more broadly speaking, I just think of being hospitable as just being welcoming. Yeah. Well, I can speak to my experience of with you and as far as your hospitality, welcoming us into your office, uh, telling us about what you do and how you're literally changing the world. Um, and it was just really exciting and impactful for me to see, but also just 
I just felt very welcome. And for those, for the listeners who don't understand, and I'm probably going to say all this wrong, Gene, but uh, Gene and his team and company are figuring, are doing these mega projects where they're creating these biofuels for aviation that I believe have 80% less um, car- fossil fuels or, car- or carbon emitters that will emit 80% less carbon emissions than a standard aviation fuel. Um, is that correct, Gene? That, that is right. As you um, and your uh, padres came in and we talked, uh, what I thought was great about that talk was um, that we were all really open with each other about not how great the things we are doing are, but um, some of the weaknesses and the vulnerabilities and and uh, and so we were. There's nothing more uh, hospitable than honesty, and we were all very honest with each other. And I thought that was just great. I I learned uh, an awful lot from you and the others in the group, and that led to this. So, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. Yeah, I, and I think and there's that level of of honesty and authenticity and consistency. I think that someone entering your world from the outside, they feel it. They pick up on it. And I think it, if done well or truly from the heart, I feel like it makes everyone feel um, very calm and at peace and open. So vulnerability, I think, is really an important role in what we all do in hospitality. And I love how you said to make people feel more comfortable with the frivolous nature of flying. Like I fly all over the place and Google, I'll use Google Flight Search, and they started putting in the carbon discharge or carbon emissions that would happen from my flight, uh, United Airlines started asking if I would like to pay an extra couple dollars to offset. And I'm doing it because it makes me feel good, right? But ultimately, I'm like, oh, I'm a, re- I'm, I'm a net contributor. Um, and that makes me feel not so great. Mm-hmm. An exciting development uh, between where I am and where you are as it pertains to hospitality is uh, Hilton, through their tapestry brand, uh, they just opened in New Haven near that up 95 near the uh, the Ikea there. Uh, the first net zero hotel called the, the Hotel Marcel. And I guess it launched almost a year ago as the first net zero hotel, but it, it's not officially net zero, I think, because it has to take a year of operation. Um, I think what you're doing from your from sustainable from a sustainable fuel perspective is really going to help transform what net zero is and make it more achievable. Um, so I was wondering, like at a high level, can you sp- tell us your understanding of net zero and how the fuels that you're creating with eighty per- that emit eighty percent less carbon can be used to help the globe achieve net zero? Yeah. Um, well, first, let me just say there's no greater compliment than um, than the compliment uh, of being uh, felt as authentic. And uh, and uh, in decarbonization efforts, uh, there's an awful lot of inauthenticity. And you, the point you made about I feel better when I click this button, and so I click it, um, is is um, part of the challenge. So uh, net zero, uh, pretty straightforward stuff. Uh, it means that uh, an entity. Um, decarbonizes as much as they emit carbon. So, um, so you know, throughout history, the way nature works, 
um, we've always emitted carbon um, into the atmosphere. But at the same time, we have taken carbon out of the atmosphere. And so nature pre-industrial revolution um, was a very imbalanced kind of recycling of carbon. We would, we would put it out, we would take it in. We would put it out, we'd take it in. The, 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 the trouble with the times that we're living in now is we're taking carbon from deep down in the earth from long ago uh, organic material that has decomposed and turned into fossil fuels. And we pull that out and we emit that into the atmosphere at the same rate that we're taking everything else that's decomposing and going into the atmosphere. And we're adding much more carbon into uh, into the atmosphere than we can recycle up out of it. So uh, the net effect is we're putting way too much insulation in the attic. Uh, we are not turning down the thermostat and the house is getting very hot. And so um, starting around 2015, 2016, and really accelerating in 2016 to, uh, and beyond, uh, companies started to feel that it was their responsibility uh, to begin to break this cycle. And so all kinds of leading companies started making commitments to um, net zero pledges by such and such a date. And what that means is that they are going to remove as much carbon as they put in and create more of the natural balance that nature uh, would have had pre-industrial revolution taking out as much as they emit in. Uh, there are um, very detailed ways of measuring uh, uh, these things, the outs and the ins. Um, there is a long way to go into getting all of the world's citizens to account for these outs and ins in the, in the same manner. Um, but broadly speaking, net zero is that you're abiding by some set of generally accepted principles of accounting, uh, most notably the science-based target in initiative, and you are taking out as much carbon as you're putting it, and so you arrive at net zero. So there are, um, bringing it back to my piece about um, authenticity, uh, so when we're flying, uh, we're often offered, offered offsets. Yes. And what is an offset? So an offset is, is something that happens somewhere that is going to uh, absorb carbon. And so as you're flying from point A to point B, if you give some money to that offset uh, scheme, then they will pay for some activity to happen that's going to absorb the same amount of carbon that you're responsible for emitting. And in theory, it's, it's great. The, 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 the trouble is that offsets have come under an awful lot of scrutiny. Um, it's, it's very esoteric. Some offsets are really good, high-quality offsets, and many, many, many offsets uh, aren't. Mm. Um, they're they're um, paying for people to not cut down forests that they weren't going to cut down anyway, uh, that were in conservation areas or, or something. So, um, so some in, offset in, a, in a way, it's not even... It, with Just by hearing you say that, in a way, it's not even a shell game. It's just obfuscation or it could be right it, uh john oliver did a really great piece on the trouble with offsets ah. and 
And I would strongly recommend anybody who's interested in what I'm talking about. I saw that one. Uh, it, it, it is, it's really powerful. Now, it's John Oliver this. doing John Oliver's yeah. thing and he's an entertaining guy. So uh, entertainment guy. So he certainly, he's not trying to find the nuance, right? Mm. He's not providing the counterpoint about where someone is really doing good work with offsets. And there are, uh, there are plenty of folks doing good work with offsets, but by and large, because offsets have been so abused, the, the, the general um, comfort level with offsets is is pretty much pretty fast approaching zero really and so uh and so what we're doing is uh something um called an inset and an inset is when you are displacing the carbon in the sector that you're generating the carbon so when we're when we're reducing carbon, we're not, it's not in some forest somewhere around the world. It's in this exact same sector. Uh, it's in aviation. We're displacing aviation fuel with um, renewable, sustainable aviation fuel. And the life cycle emissions of the fossil fuel that we displace uh, are about 80% less. So, um, so the, the the whole idea here is the best carbon sequestration that you can do is to not pull up carbon out of the out of the ground in the first place. Mm. So when we use uh, plant based or animal based um, uh, inputs, uh, we can use fewer fossil input in, inputs and significantly displace the life cycle carbon emissions in aviation. And it's done right in the same sector. And so it's a it's a, a in effect it's an extremely high quality alternative to offsets, and it's a much higher quality alternative than the status quo. Yeah. So I I, I like the idea of this this inset. So specifically as it relates to aviation fuel, with these projects that you're doing from um, pulling out hydrogen from seawater to refining that and combining it, everything with the biofuels to create the aviation fuel. Um, how does that affect an airline or the airline industry or other companies that may be a net contributor, but looking to through rigorous accounting kind of level the balance sheet on, as it pertains to carbon. Like if I were, if I were to give you a magic wand right now and all of your projects were done right now, and you look out 10 years, like how, how do you see the work that you're doing and your purpose and your, your value driven purpose changing the world or making it easier for everyone to be closer to net zero in the world of aviation? Yeah. Um, so, um, when, when you were in, we talked about a, a, a number of our big projects, right? Mm -hmm. We are in the middle. We, we first started producing sustainable aviation fuel in our refinery in Los Angeles uh, around 2015. Um, we have been expanding that facility and we're in the middle of a $3 billion project to, to dramatically increase uh, the amount of fuel that we can make out of that facility and uh, improve the technology uh, on, on how we're making it. We've got a similar project going in Texas. I don't, that's about a $2 billion project. And then we've got a very different project 
going in Newfoundland on the west coast of uh, 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 on the west coast of Newfoundland uh, in Canada, in which we are uh, looking to produce uh, uh, green hydrogen uh, by taking wind energy and splitting H2O water into H2 hydrogen and oxygen, mm-hmm. and and so then that hydrogen is a carrier of that wind's energy and can be shipped anywhere in the world, effectively shipping Canada's excellent wind resources to where they're most needed. Uh, we hosted uh, the Chancellor of Germany and the Prime Minister of Canada at our site around this time last year, uh, in which the the two leaders of the countries uh, signed the Canada-Germany Hydrogen Alliance, in which we're, uh, the two countries are working together to establish this trade route. This few months after Wow. Uh, had invaded um, Russia and uh, the Germans um, began their um, urgent quest to move beyond Russian natural gas to clean alternatives. Mm-hmm. So this idea of being able to capture um, these vast resources in Canada and move them to Germany uh, is super attractive and super appealing. Yeah. Obviously, we got... A country, Germany's twice the size of Canada, for example. Uh, it's got, um, uh, I'm sorry, twice the population size of Canada. And it's got, um, uh, Canada's got about 20 times the, the land mass of Germany. Uh, and so the ability to move really good natural resources, wind and water, uh, from Canada to Germany in a way that that improves Atlanta, the economy of Atlanta, Canada, and it improves the uh, sustainability and uh, literally the economic lifeblood of Germany collaborating together. Uh, those are, those are uh, really promising uh, projects. Um, sorry, you asked me. Uh, well, just a bit like, of a well, yeah, so it was we can- a bit of a, well, a bit of a different question. I think, thank you for sharing that because I think it's really important to just understand like the importance of these I'll call I mean, you're calling them projects. I'm calling them mega projects because it's just, it's so much people. Uh, there's such a, an impact globally. You have heads of state negotiating treaties over it. Like I just, I, I know you're understating it, but I like, I want to just attach the word mega on there. Um, first, well, there's no, there's no question these are mega. Yeah. Uh, once you're, once you're talking bees. Yeah, exactly. Well, I've been doing, I, I've been, you know, I started, um, World Energy is <laughs> funny thing. It's a, it was a one-man uh, company called World Energy uh, in, in 1998. Uh, somebody pointed that out to me a couple of years after I had started it. Um, so I guess uh, uh, whether that, that's that's something uh, a naive person does or a really ambitious person does or whatever, I don't know. But um, it, it was certainly a grandiose name for a one one-person operation. But you know, the, the, the a company that starts um, with uh, one person maxing out credit cards um, and 25 years later is deploying about $15 billion into um, three really large projects. Uh, yeah, it's it, these are these certainly by any definition I'm familiar with. These are big projects. Right. So how how can the, these mega projects like let's just pretend they were. They were done today. Like you're all finished. Everything is fully operational. Um, and then let's fast forward 10 years into the future. What kind of an impact 
do you find these projects and your company in creating this marketplace for insets um, with respect to like, how, how do you see it impacting aviation and just companies looking to be net zero in their operations? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. When, when, whenever you're looking at displacing fossil fuel in anything, whether you're doing wind and solar to replace coal or, or gas-fired power plants or anything, it's, it's really easy to fall into this trap of, oh, my God, what we're doing is it's such small scale given what would be needed to displace everything at full scale. So we got about 100 billion gallons of, of uh, aviation fuel used around the world every year. Um, we, at, uh, at, at this point when these projects are, are finished in, in LA and in, in Houston, uh, we'll be at about 600 million gallons. Okay. Uh, you, you could be forgiven if you said, you know, Gene, what are you doing? Uh, 600 million in a 100 billion gallon market why even bother? Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you, um, the reason goes back to this word that I didn't know was going to be the buzzword of the discussion, but it, I, it seems to be emerging as such. It's about authenticity. And if some of the leading brands in the world are going to be authentic about the, the net zero commitments they made, they're going to, A, either meet them in a real way, not some goofy greenwashed way, but in a real way, or they're going to go to the world and say, look, it can't be done. Those are their two options. I guess they have three options. One, they can greenwash it. Two, they can do it in an authentic way. And three, they can go out to the world and say, no, it can't be done. Um, it's really important that the leading corporations of the, uh, of the world don't greenwash it and don't say it can't be done. Um, so you get companies the leading tech companies uh, 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 are, are in this category. The leading finance companies are in this category. The leading consulting firms are in this category. And if you think about a consulting firm or a finance company, how do they produce emissions? Hmm. Well, in many of them, think about a consulting firm. In many of them, 60, 70, or even 80% of their emissions come from flying people around. So if they can't do a real job of really displacing those carbon emissions, um, well, then how else are they going to meet their make their net zero hmm. commitment real? Um, they're not. And so, um, what I feel like we're doing, even though it's a small little drop in the ocean, is we're creating the ability for uh, leaders to lead and for Companies that take their brands seriously uh, and and want their brands to be authentic to find ways. And and so what we're doing is finding ways. Are what we're doing in Newfoundland or in Houston or Los Angeles enough to make even the smallest dent on their own? No, they're not. But their progress and the way progress works if you take a step and then you take another step and another step and another step. And for example, uh, how did we end up in a $12 billion uh, green hydrogen initiative on the West coast of Newfoundland 
when we're a biofuels company. Totally. How, how, does, how does that play? Uh, well, that plays because we went from biodiesel to renewable diesel to sustainable aviation fuel. And at each step of the way, we we're trying to drive down the carbon intensity of what we were doing. And as we were looking at how, how can we drive down the carbon intensity uh, in aviation fuel, it's not just the feedstocks that you use, but it's a, it's a hydro processing. Uh, it's very similar to making oil. You use hydrogen uh, as part of the process to make sustainable aviation fuel. Well, we're, we're uh, currently making um, uh, sustainable aviation fuel from gray hydrogen. This is hydrogen that it originates as, as natural gas. And it's run through a process called steam methane reforming, and it's made into hydrogen, and then it's used as an input in our process. Well, it was only natural for us to say, okay, we've got to drive down the carbon intensity in our hydrogen as well. And so we started working with our, our partners at Air Products, the largest uh, supplier of hydrogen in the world, and started working with them about how do we get cleaner hydrogen into our process. And they were developing a project in Saudi Arabia, one of the first uh, project, green hydrogen projects in the world. And their leaders um, really shared with us everything about that project and how that project works and why does it work and what they intended to do. We started looking at, okay, how do we get that green hydrogen from Saudi Arabia into, uh, into Los Angeles? And it's going to be very difficult. So then we found ways to generate from renewable natural gas, the hydrogen that we need in Los Angeles. But we were still stuck on, wow, that the fundamentals of that green hydrogen are pretty interesting. And then we found a really great place to do it in Canada. And so we thought, what do we know about this? Not a lot. Let's go learn. And so this is what I think is the importance of taking the steps you can take. You don't know where they can turn out. Right. Uh, I, 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 if I can ramble just for one second no, longer go for to, it. To, to share where um, I, I, I share with my kids all the time that when I was in high school, uh, I thought it was really silly that I was taking typing classes and Spanish classes. When would I ever really need typing or Spanish? Well, now I type all day, every day, and I'm married to an Argentine woman, and uh, we have a Spanish-speaking family, and I'm surrounded by Spanish. So you never know where things are going to end up. So, you know, it, I think the really important piece of all of this is that in the, in, look, humanity has no choice. We will address climate change or we will perish yeah. and stop. And so we have to take the steps to do what we can do when we can do it. And the, and the solutions to, uh, to, to climate change are going to come from the exact same companies that are changing everything else about how we live. Mm. These are technology companies. These are big finance. This is big consulting. This, these are the companies that change the world. And they're the ones that are going to help lead us because they're serious about their net zero commitments that are gonna lead us to the solutions that we need to have over the long haul. But we can't sit and wait for them to emerge. So, and that's why I, lo I love the analogy of like, it's, it's almost what you said is progress, not perfection, where 
600 million barrels versus 100 billion barrels, it is a one drop in a huge bucket. But if you think about like that future, I call it the Star Trek future, just because I'm a huge fan. And I always hope that we get to this place of unlimited clean energy and where people and of and aliens and everyone just gets along for a common goal until the board comes. And then <laughs> I just worry about the board. But um, that's just me geeking out. But if you were to take the advancements or what you learned about that hydrogen and how it can, what you've learned there in Newfoundland and how it's helping what you're doing in, in Saudi Arabia and also, or in Texas and in Texas and LA and what you're hearing about from Saudi Arabia, it's all the kind of like this iterative process of taking, putting one step in the forward, one step in front of the other and learning and while I, I'm hearing those four different areas right now, like if you look 10, 20 years out, what advancements have you been a part of that you see could hit scale and really get closer to that 100 billion gallons of aviation fuel? Like, can you foresee anything? Like, if you think about it, what excites you most about the work that you're doing right now? So all energy on, uh, on Earth comes from the sun, um, directly or indirectly. And the sun puts enough energy uh, onto the surface of the earth every single day to power everything we do. And so the, the task here is to figure out how to convert the sun's energy effectively into powering the things we do. Mm. Um, I don't think it's a very viable option to never go see your, your parents again in some different, di distant place or to have world leaders not meet together because they can't fly because of carbon that's, those aren't viable solutions. So we need to find viable ways to continue to power the advancements of the modern world without all of the detriments. So if you're asking me 10, 20 years out, how, how, you know, what's going to be doing all the work? Well, sure, it'd be great if we, um, if, if fusion is around uh, then, right? There, there's a whole bunch of really promising stuff that it will be terrific if, if we make advancements in those things. I think the biggest advancement we could make um, as a society is to charge for externalities, to charge for the cost of emitting carbon. And if people were really paying for the cost of the carbon emissions uh, that, they, that they're causing, uh, things will be a lot more expensive. A lot of things will be a lot more expensive. Um, unless you did them in a lower carbon intensive way. Hmm. Uh, so the, the, the hydrogen that we're working on in, in, um, in Canada, that hydrogen can go into making green steel, for example. So if your car was priced um, uh, with green steel at one price and, and gray steel, the traditional steel at another price, um, and those those were somewhere near price parity and consumers had to decide what they wanted to, to buy. As long as that price was close, most customers will want the cleaner uh, vehicle that's made of green steel, that it's made from hydrogen and modern uh, techniques uh, that allows for very low carbon intensity steel mm. to be made, again, from that same wind uh, converting uh, 
water into hydrogen and using that hydrogen in the, in the steelmaking process. Uh, but as long as it's really, really, really cheap, and it is, to emit carbon, then any alternative is going to is gonna is going to struggle. Hmm. So we need to do two things. Of course, we need to to advance uh, the technology side, and that is as you said, it's going to be an iterative process. We're going to get to places that we could not have imagined. If you'd asked me ten years ago, would we be doing what we're doing now? I said no chance. Uh, so how how uh, insightful am I going to be about where we're going to be 10 years from now? Not very. What I know is 10 years from now, uh, if we're successful, we're still just doing what we can do. And we're going to be taking the steps we can take. And we're going to be getting to better better places because we're taking those steps. Mm. Uh, so I don't really know where it all goes. I know that the world is giving us, that the sun is giving the world all all we need, we just need to figure out ways to convert this. But we won't figure those ways out if just digging up what the sun gave us billions of years ago out of the out of the out of the earth mm. is a viable alternative. We'll just keep doing that. And we got a we've got a, a tragedy of the commons problem in that no one of us can say it can can prevent climate change. And so we're going to have to all collaborate on the uh, the issue or the other guy's always going to do the cheaper thing. I'm going to do the more expensive thing. We're both going to end up with the carbon emission, um, the same carbon emission problem. So it's a it's a big issue while mm. I'm getting carbon priced correctly. I, I'm curious. I, I feel like uh, in 2008, there was a huge from a real estate development perspective, like there's a whole huge push with lead um, and sustainable building practices that is really exciting because like there became this like measurability of what makes building a building and operating a building sustainable. Um, then it kind of, it changed the way things were done. And that now I'm seeing there's been a change in the past, I don't know, maybe since in the middle of COVID, like uh, a lot of the retail investors and banks and um, financiers are really pushing to have some kind of a measurement on sustainability, which I think is good. And I think it's, I'm hoping it's driven by the retail investor or just the everyone on the street because it's important to them. What I'm curious to know is, and I don't know if you're seeing it, but is there a way to show that from a development, whether you're building a refinery, a wind farm, a hotel, like most of the people here, is there a way to show that from a sustainability perspective that, that there's a, a lower cost of capital on the debt or the equity side by employing um, green or sustainable practices in development? Um, I'm not in your industry and won't pretend to know how to tie mine to yours. But you are building I, things. Yeah, we are building and things. And you are that, borrowing money and raising equity, right? We are doing all those things. Does yes. it so come up in any of there's those? There's only different ways you can slice this, yeah. right? Yes. We, we build things. We raise capital to build those things. Yes. Uh, we end up having to have a, a essentially the, the facility partially leased. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's similar. Um, so um, the, what, I, what I am seeing is this. Um, we have now um, 
we we just did a deal with a, a company that doesn't want to be mentioned in this yet. Fair enough. Uh, so uh, so I won't mention who they are. They're a very big name company that everybody's heard of, and they were on these very high end um, excursions, global excursions, where they're bouncing around and going to all these different places. They charge a bunch of money and it's private air travel to all these places. And um, and I, I forget what the length of time is, but it's a, a, around the world tour. And um, they uh, have just recently um, bought a sufficient amount of uh, um, these inset credits to make that entire uh, activity carbon neutral. Wow. And so what the way they're thinking about um, hospitality and you know, it's not buildings. The question you asked was about buildings, but not specifically buildings. But the way they're thinking about creating experiences is not just in the physical space, but it's the way one gets to the physical spaces. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I think they're thinking about hospitality um, very broadly and connecting the decarbonized travel with the on-site experience. Hmm. Okay, that's pretty interesting. I'm, I think I, it's a separate conversation, but I just, I'm really curious, like as far as like the big, the big banks and other investors, if they are looking for some kind of a measurable metric to show that they can inset or offset or, or whatever, and if it would lower a cost of capital. So, but I don't, I don't know. This is like a, a puzzle. I'm trying to figure it out. Um, but going back so, to, on that front, yeah. uh, we're, we're um, supplying to a group called the Sustainable Aviation Buyers Alliance. Mm -hmm. And if you look at who's uh, in the Sustainable Aviation Buyers Alliance, it's a who's who of, of the of corporate leaders from around the world. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's the Microsofts, it's the Deloitte's, it's, it's uh, I think Apple's part of it. It's, but uh, a bunch of con uh, uh, finance companies, Bank of America is in there, JP Morgan is in there. Anyway, we're supplying um, through the Sustainable Aviation Buyers Alliance. We're supplying those companies now because they're thinking about uh, how best they can begin to decarbonize their aviation activities. Um, and so uh, the, the example I gave you earlier, um, about the as yet to be named um, uh, hospitality hospitality company or, or uh, they're really an entertainment company uh, and how they're tying things together. Um, I think lots lots of companies are thinking more broadly about um, how their carbon impact impacts their core business. Mm. And they get to continue to do their core business if they don't think creatively uh, about creating real solutions on carbon impact. And I think that's, that, that's more broadly true. Well, that, that all comes back to authenticity and values, right? Because the, the most successful brands are the ones where they're fully in alignment with their values. And if, mm -hmm. if like you say, and I, I believe that if we don't fix this, we're doomed, like it all, it has to be a part survival in a way has to be a part of our values. And I think that that's going to, especially after this year that we've had of just everything being so hot with all the extreme weather, I just feel like that's going to, if it's not already first and forefront in all these companies, 
um, it ha- it it has to percolate up and it has to be authentic. Yeah, I like it. look. If you're a corporate leader today, how can you be a corporate leader on everything but the biggest problem the species faces? True, agreed. And and actually, that's a great segue into the next question. Where so I, I think I would consider you. You're kind of, I, in a way, I feel like you're creating a market. You're a market maker, if you will, um, and elite, and a leader within sustainable energy. So, if you're on the vanguard of this movement of 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 creating these insets, if you will, um, what advice do you offer to other companies or entrepreneurs who are looking to take that one step towards progress on these bigger projects that almost seem impossible? I've never been big on advice. What what the hell do I know that uh, others don't? I just know my own experience. My own experience is, um, uh, for me personally, I do best when I don't doubt myself, um, don't overthink it, um, see it if you believe it, and really see it. Um, go learn about it. Go explore. Move towards it, and. If you're wrong, you're wrong. Big deal. I mean, I'm I'm wrong all the time. I find uh, very early in my career, I I used to. Um, I don't know why this would have been uh, of use to anybody, but I helped um, uh, startup companies write business plans. And I was in college at the time. I was a 20 year old kid helping companies write business plans. What what, what the heck did I know? I didn't know anything. But. Um, People would come in about their, and the, these were small businesses um, through the Small Business uh, Administration, and they uh, they would come in and they would be planning and planning and planning about how to start their pie business or uh, you know their contracting business or whatever, and they were really uncomfortable because they were going to have to leave their job to go do this thing and. Um, Look, it's important to have a rough sense of where you're headed, but I have found in my experience, I learned so much more by just going and starting something and going and meeting with potential customers and talking about uh, talking to potential suppliers and talking uh, to potential financiers uh, and trying. Yeah. Uh, and I, I and I think that that is the same spirit. Um, uh, that I would bring to anything. Yeah, I think that just is resonating with me. I, I think I wrote a college essay on this, like to get into college, but it was really, I read something by Mark Twain and it was all about learning by doing, right? Mm-hmm. You got to do it to le- to really learn it. I mean, some people can learn it all in books and theory, but for me, I, I need to learn by doing. And what you were saying of taking those meetings, talking to customers, learning, 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 being curious, I call those each one of those interactions a collision. And I feel like the more collisions that we can all have, the faster progress will happen. And that's really that's great. why I love doing these podcasts as well, because each one of these is a, it's like a totally weird way of communicating with someone. Uh, it's an uninterrupted conversation. No one's asking if you want sparkling or still or <laughs> red or white or what's your main, like you can, re- I'm really listening to you and hearing this and like, these things are resonating with me and I, I would agree with you. It's, it's, we all have to collide to make things happen from my experience. Yeah. What the hell? Go give it a go, right? What's the worst that can happen? I think we get ourselves so worked up about, you know, our 
quality of life and oh my god the kids tuition and blah 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 and these are all very real things but look we all uh, in in the western world the vast majority of us live well beyond any kind of norm throughout history yeah uh, and and we get so hung up and you know then the, the kid needs a new pair of sneakers or whatever and it's all we don't need all that much. And then the, and the, and the um, irony of the whole damn thing is the more you don't worry about it, the more it all works out anyway. Totally. So, <laughs> so and, 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 you know, it's, it's like learning things in books is nice or reading the newspaper is nice, but travel is so much better, right? You can't, you can't experience, um, I mentioned that my my you can't experience things remotely mm -hmm. uh, only by to your point having a collision. Yeah, you really understand something. My wife, as I mentioned, is from Argentina. Argentina has um, famously struggled with inflation for a long time. They're currently going through a period of about one hundred twenty percent inflation. Crazy. So we can all imagine when you hear about post World War II Germany and other places that have gone through um, hyperinflation and how difficult that is, and people walking around with wheelbarrows of money and so forth. You don't really get that until you experience it. So, mm -hmm. uh, so in Argentina, um, counterintuitively, um, the bars are full, the restaurants are full. Uh, People are are living for the day, and then you go. Well, how could this possibly be? They're in this period of rapid inflation. Well, of course they are. Their money is not going to be worth anything tomorrow. They better eat it and drink it now. Exactly, exactly. Right. So, I mean, of course that's obvious once you think about it. But you don't you don't think about that until you go and see it, and then have to, or at least maybe you would have thought of that. I didn't think of that until I saw it and, 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 uh, you know, so yeah. Do you know, what, as you were saying it, it's like to, to get out there and do it. And, um, recently I interviewed a woman from Boston. Um, her name is Tanya Nyack. She's a well-known designer, but she also is a, a restaurateur in Boston. Have you ever heard of the yellow door taqueria? Not sure. I no, there's a couple oh, of them been, around. But I, as much as I was just talking about frivolous travel, I, I'm kind of never here. Okay. Well, <laughs> she, it was really funny. We were talking about like failures and successes. And I remember just talking about this shirt that I read somewhere and it said on the back of it, it was like, failure is just unfinished learning. And it was just kind of like a bell that rung. I was like, oh, okay, I'm just mm. failing and I'll just figure it out. But she called it uh she called it t-shirt wisdom. So again, <laughs> I think we can all benefit. I guess the, that's the long way of saying like, you if you're on the fence and thinking about it, the best way is to just try and keep iterating until you succeed or you know what? Hey, that's not for you. And that's great data as well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, yeah. and, and ultimately our, our, I think our risk appetite, um, it's kind of hardwired at birth mm. and it, so you got to be what you are, right? And and if your risk appetite is uh, uh, is low, uh, then don't take risk. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're not 
that worried about failure, um, but you're really afraid of boredom, then take some risk. Exactly. And hopefully do it when you're younger, because I find in my experience, risk is inversely proportional to age and responsibility. Mm. It's definitely better uh, to do it um, pre-kids. Totally. Uh, yeah, it's no, but look, it, it, I think um, for most of us, uh, the, the downside of our um, perceived risk-taking isn't as down as it would seem. Mm. And whether you've got kids and whether you're 50 or whatever, uh, you know, I think there's, um, I think we, I, I think we, uh, overweight. In fact, we, we know this from, from studies, we overweight the risk of loss. Yeah. yeah and that's probably, it, it's tied into, um, how we view ourselves in the world and, uh, and just realizing that a business opportunity or an entrepreneurial venture is different than your own personal idea of who you are. Oftentimes we can get very wrapped up in both of them. Boy, that's, 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 that's a podcast in and of itself right there. You know, are, are you, are, if you, if you are one, if you are an entrepreneur and if you are a risk taker, that what you just said is absolutely critical to maintaining your sense of self. Yeah. You are not your, business venture. You, your self-worth does not go up when the p l is looking good and it does not go down when the p l is looking bad. Mm -hmm. and, and if you can't differentiate those two, it can be really, really tough. I've yes. seen people that well um, and, and, and that ability to, to create that disconnection. And unfortunately, I've seen people do it really poorly, leading to really tragic outcomes. Yeah, I've had it more often than not. I do it well, but there have been times when I have not done it well. But again, that's that iterative learning, right? And that's yeah, right. Easy to do when you're like having a conversation like this. Yeah, right? exactly. Like, oh, you really should separate those two. And then you're <laughs> and you're in it. I mean, you're in the midst of a, of a nosedive and you're like, whoa. Oh, my God. Well, yeah. As you're looking at all the work that you've done with all the ups and the downs and all the, all the zeros after the Bs that you're working on, um, what's exciting you most about what you see coming down the pipe? Hmm. Um, I had an interesting conversation the other day um, with uh, my kids are in their 20s and they had some uh, family friends over and so they were a big group of us. And we were talking about boredom and we were kind of going around the, 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 the table about, um, about boredom. And when we got to me and I said, um, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm, I'm never bored. Uh, if I'm in a boring situation, I, I get up and leave. Uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's fascinating stuff all around us all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, so what do I see as the most interesting stuff coming down the pipe? Yeah. Because that, that, well, obviously it's the, you know, the big drivers are, um, uh, what happens with artificial intelligence and where, uh, this journey takes us. Um, I am hopeful that in the yin and yang of life that, um, that this period of, um, of, of um, 
entrenchment in isolated camps can get to something beyond where where we're or seemingly headed. Um, I I do think that we will just go through a period of tremendous um, innovation uh, in energy as um, and and climate related stuff generally. And it's not just create new energy; it's use less of it and create new ways to to power what you need to power. Mm -hmm. um, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a massive uh, change in everything we do. You think about even just automated, you know, automated vehicles, um, self-driving cars, uh, and how they change everything in a city. Right? You don't need parking garages all over the place. So we get all that back. We don't need to have parking spots all over the place. We don't all need to have our own cars, which are sitting in parking lots all the time. We can the 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 efficiencies of how cities can work, and we, and we can come back into closer proximity to each other. Uh, you know, more of us can live like they live in 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 Amsterdam, where where people live in relatively small individual dwellings, but they share the the collective space together. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a real opportunity for us to get into this almost a post industrialization mindset where it's just more and more and more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger into something that's a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more sustainable, a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit better. Mm. You know, I don't think I can't think of anything uh, more boring uh, since we keep coming to that term than um, living in these massive houses that we, that we Americans have built for ourselves in complete isolation from our neighbors with massive lawns and we're social beings. What have we done? We've just created all these isolation pods, which are way too big uh, and way too far away from each other. So I, I'm really encouraged generally by uh, a lot of the sensibilities of the generations that are coming after us. Uh, they generally are uh, a, a lot less judgy based on race, gender, sexual identity, all that, you know, they, they're generally more open-minded. Um, they are generally less worried about um, uh, ownership and they're much better at sharing. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and I, I think there's a lot of promise in their sensibilities. And I, I think there's, I mean, our generation, my generation, um, naturally grew up in the time we grew up in. And so we waste a lot and we consume a lot. And we're, uh, we, we believe that the next purchase is going to be the one that really makes us happy. Uh, <laughs> and, well, okay, fair enough. Our, our kids and our, 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 you know, the generations that follow aren't buying it. Mm -hmm. I think that's got a lot of promise to it. Totally. Well, I'm, I'm very hopeful with that as well, because I really feel that, uh, moving away from this kind of ownership society to more of a stakeholder society, just, you know, you were saying that thing about cars. Um, it's like, uh, if you think about how much of a, the life of a car is just idle, right? I don't know. I bet it's over 90%. And that's yeah. probably 
if you look at that from a capital allocation perspective, it's probably not the best use of capital, right? And I think that we are in this place where like a huge boulder is, has got thrown into a river and like now all these different eddies and currents are trying to figure their way around oh, it. Wow. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's incredible. I mean, going, going back to the um, sustainability concerns, think about the amount, you know, about 9% of all the carbon emissions in the world go into making steel. Uh, you know, you think about totally. all of the steel we make and throw it away. Even, even the, the, um, the shells of things that we throw away, the shells of a computer, do we need to be throwing them the shell of it away all the time? Can't we recycle? Can't we, um, you know, do we, do we need to be creating all of this junk and throwing it in the garbage and then creating more junk? I, I, I can't imagine that we do. And so we're, you know, just by necessity, we're going to have to figure out how to be a lot more efficient. Uh, and, and, and I think that's going to lead, uh, I'm hopeful that that leads us back to each other. Mm -hmm. I, I agree. And I think we're just in this time of turbulence now, but I am also very hopeful that the work that you're doing as world energy and countless other entrepreneurs in the energy space is really going to help lead to more innovation and more progress and because I do see that like energy consumption as difficult, as hard as it is from like an environmental perspective, it also correlates pretty nicely to human progress as well. Oh yeah. No question. So like, I really want to find this way to get to this Star Trek future. And I know that you're playing an out, even though you say it's a drop in a huge bucket, I really believe that you're playing an outsized role in this as a leader. So I appreciate getting to know you and, and you giving and investing your time in this podcast and just helping educate all of us. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if people wanted to learn more, Gene, about world energy and what you're doing, like what's a good way for them to uh, to get involved or, or learn more? Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is a, is a good way to connect. Uh, the website, of course, uh, worldenergy.net is a good way to, to uh, connect. And um, I think those are probably the two best ways. Perfect. Um, well, again, I just want to thank you so much for your time. And I know how busy you are at changing the world. And thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, I enjoyed it. All right. And also, I just be remiss without thanking our listeners. Um, again, we just passed two years and like, it's crazy how much we've grown. And I appreciate all of you so much. Um, and we must be talking to great people like Gene to keep everyone engaged and growing and the word of mouth going. So if this has changed your idea on energy or insets, offsets, hospitality, please pass it along. Uh, we would appreciate it greatly because we grow one listener at a time. Thank you.